Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Colorado is the latest state with its own comprehensive data privacy law. Tune in to hear about the legislative debates before the bill became law, why nuances and differences among state and international privacy laws will make compliance difficult for some companies, what rules and regulations may shape the Colorado privacy landscape in the coming months, and what companies should do to prepare before the law goes into effect two years from now. Hi, and welcome to the latest edition of the Brownstein podcast series. My name is Alyssa Garden-Schwartz. I am a shareholder in the firm's litigation department in the Denver office. And joining me today are Sarah Mercer, who is a shareholder in the government relations department, um, also in the Denver office, uh, and who has just come off a um, somewhat exhausting legislative session in the Colorado legislature. Um, I'm also joined by David Hale, who is a shareholder in our intellectual property group and is in our DC office and is our resident expert on all things privacy related. And um, what we're going to talk about today is the fact that Colorado has become the third state in the country to pass a comprehensive data privacy law, um, SB 190, the Colorado Privacy Act. The bill passed the legislature and is still awaiting the governor's signature. And this is a, a bill that, or a law, that distinct from the law that was passed in Colorado uh, a few years ago, um, that addressed data security requirements as well as breach notification requirements. This is a law that really addresses consumers' agency over their personal data. That is, the law allows consumers to have access to their personal data, to correct data that is being collected by companies, um, or uh, request that that data be deleted. Under this law, consumers can also um, obtain a portable copy of the data so that they, they can take it elsewhere. And the bill additionally, like other privacy laws that have passed, um, has an opt-out. That is, consumers have the ability to opt out of uh, the processing of their data, particularly for its use in targeted advertising. The law allows for um, enforcement by the attorney general's office and the district attorneys in Colorado. It is uh, yet another law that has passed um, without a private right of action. The enforcement there includes, um, for now, a right to cure uh, when the attorney general gives notice to a business that um, they believe that the business is in violation of the act. And um, finally, the, the law also requires that businesses conduct a DPA if they determine that they are processing data that has um, the potential for consumer harm. So that's an overview of the law. Now I want to turn to sort of digging in first to how this law got passed here in Colorado. Um, so Sarah, can you give us some background on SB 190 and how you saw it come together, um, who were the folks that were weighing in and what issues seemed to be particularly driving the, the passage of the legislation or amendments to the legislation that was, as it was moving through the assembly. Thank you. The process on this bill actually started two years ago and from the get-go had bipartisan support. 
the two Senate sponsors, Senator Rodriguez and Senator Lundeen, they led and began the stakeholder process and the bill drafting and uh, were really, you know, ran point on on the bill from the time that things began to the time that it was introduced. I will say the bill across the board had bipartisan support. Um, I mean, it passed the House 57 to 7, which is just unheard of given the diversity of of members that we have in the House and across the, the political spectrum. And it passed the Senate 35 to 0. So uh, it, it really was just a bill that gained so much support throughout the process, um, even as folks both from the business community side and from the consumer advocate side were raising concerns. Not everyone is happy at the very end. Um, Alyssa, you noted that the governor has not signed the bill yet, uh, which there are a lot of bills that come out of uh, the session upon adjournment, uh, which was just a couple of weeks ago. Bills don't become law until the governor signs them or or until they uh, become law uh, without his signature here in Colorado, which happens 30 days uh, after the uh, the legislature ends. So I don't think we have any reason to believe he won't, that this bill won't become law, but uh, that is definitely something that's still hanging out there. You know, as I mentioned, the process on this bill started two years ago. The big concerns uh, that were raised were, you know, first of all, you know, who would this bill apply to? There was uh, certainly concern from the business community about the burdens on small businesses. Uh, and so there was negotiation around what size of business, like what, what was the amount of data that was collected to trigger the obligations under this bill? And you can imagine the consumer advocates on the other side wanted that threshold to be lower. The business community wanted that to be higher. Um, so that was certainly a big point of negotiation. The other real big point of negotiation was this idea of opt-in or opt-out. Early versions uh, and early drafts of the bill included both an opt-in and an opt-out. So consumers certainly would have the right to opt out of data that was being collected. But there was also this right to opt in, maybe for businesses who hadn't been collecting data, were maybe going to collect new data. I think there's a lot of concern from the business community about the uh, burdens of an opt-in provision, which eventually that language was uh, struck from the bill before it was passed. And then the third area of a lot of negotiation and concern was around a private right of action. So whose job is it to enforce this legislation? The consumer advocates wanted there to be a right of any individual because they're the ones who this data belongs to, to be able to sue and enforce uh, this statute. Business community was on the other side saying, look, we don't want to create a cottage industry of litigation around this. That's going to be very expensive for us, but we do trust the attorney general to be able to uh, enforce uh, this bill. And so, um, you know, there was negotiation around that at the end of the day, there's no private right of action in, in Colorado's bill. And those were really the three issues around which there was a lot of sort of high level discussion. Certainly there was also an inordinate amount of discussion around definitions, exemptions, uh, and all of the other details that are that are really important, uh, but certainly are at a much more granular level. Interesting, yeah, and and that you know that all sort of makes sense given what we know about how other privacy laws in other states have been faring in their respective legislatures. You know, for example, in Washington State, I think this year was like their third year. Uh, considering a privacy bill and the hangups there have been in addition to 
the attorney general there saying that they didn't uh, necessarily have the resources to enforce the bill as written. Um, the the issues that you mentioned, Sarah, the, the opt-in um, versus opt-out uh, issue for businesses, and then, of course, the private right of action is also a sticking point in many of these laws. You know, advocates, consumer advocates would like both the opt-in and the private right of action businesses for the reasons that you described uh, are opposed to those things. So David, I wanna to turn to you next. I mean, in talking about giving an overview of the bill, you know, it has a lot of the, the hallmarks of um, these privacy laws, right? The, you know, the various rights that consumers have with respect to their data. But, you know, there there's some differences, too. So, you know, where do you see this Colorado law borrowing from some of the other um, existing privacy laws out there? You know, California, Virginia that just passed and maybe even GDPR. And where do you see the Colorado law diverging from the existing privacy laws in ways that are likely to have implications for compliance? Sure. So let me start with kind of the basic uh, things that are included in this law that are that are at least at a high level similar to what are in California and Virginia's laws. So the the Colorado law provides for a right to access the information that a company has about a consumer, a right for a consumer to access that information, a right to correct that information if it's if it's incorrect to request that that information be deleted. Now that that deletion request has limitations. Uh, It's not absolute, although in the way the Colorado law is written, it it sort of appears to be absolute. That said, I think that that's one of the areas where it's going to be a little tricky for for companies to keep track of the differences between the states. I, I have to delete a request when it comes in Colorado, I don't have to delete that same information for perhaps a Virginia resident based on, on my intended use. And I think that's a, that's a theme that, that's going to be, um, you know, throughout looking at these laws that they, again, they're very, at the high level, they're very, um, they have a lot of similarities. And then when we get into the details, they have nuances that are going to make um, it's difficult to have a, a single policy that, that complies with all of them. There's also a right to, uh, in the Colorado Act in, and in Virginia, but not in, um, in California, to data portability. That is uh, the ability to, to essentially have that data exported in an electronic form where it can be shared with, a, with, a, with another party. Colorado also has a, uh, a requirement to give a person the option to opt out of the sale of, of their information. California and Virginia both also have uh, similar requirements. They're a little bit different, however, in terms of how they define sale. Likewise, Colorado has a, has a requirement that you give people the option to opt out of using their information for targeting for advertising purposes. If that's applicable, if your if your company does that kind of targeting, again, there are similar rights in Virginia and, and California. They are, however, very slightly different, and I think that that's going to be a, a significant issue uh, in terms of how do companies simultaneously comply with with these different laws. Uh, one of the things that's a little different from 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 California is the the requirement of doing a, a data protection assessment, as it's called in the statute, 
which is a, a, a assessing how the data is used and how that information uh, should be protected and, and uh, what kind of controls should be around it and whether that's appropriate to the type of, of data that's being collected. Along with the data minimization requirement, I think this is going to be one of the bigger issues in, in Colorado, that, that there's a requirement that the data that's collected from a person be limited to that information which is necessary to perform whatever service or, or, or process that, that you're performing as a, as a business. That's a fairly significant change from, uh, from California even in, in terms of the scope of information that you're, you're collecting. I think it's a little difficult sometimes to predict what data uh, you're going to need and how it might be used in a way that, that allows you to collect that information efficiently and then use it appropriately in the end. I'll mention one other thing, which is, you know, again, to go back to this question of the high level is uh, very similar, but the details become sort of frustratingly different. Uh, there are things like the definition of sensitive information. All three statutes between California, Virginia, and Colorado, along with the, the European statute, the, the General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, all have requirements to, to handle so-called sensitive information uh, differently. In, in Colorado, you have to, that's part of your assessment, it is this sensitive information that has to go into the assessment. You have to perform an assessment, and that has to be um, considered in terms of how you're treating that information. Additionally, you have to get certain additional consents for sensitive information. But the way that these laws define sensitive is similar, but slightly different. Virginia, for example, includes immigration status and citizenship status. The um, Colorado law, however, uh, doesn't look at immigration status, only looks at citizenship status. California adds on to uh, the list that, that, that Colorado has and Virginia has uh, things like social security number and, uh, interestingly enough, uh, whether or not you're a member of a union, which is also part of the list in Europe. So keeping track of all of these different nuances in terms of, is this data sensitive? Is it not sensitive? Uh, do we have to use some sort of heightened level of, of, of control for a particular data type between the different uh, states is going to be a, a challenge for companies going forward. And this doesn't necessarily seem like because of the differences that you just described, this isn't an instance where a company can just focus on the most, quote unquote, the most restrictive law and just comply with that one. Um, and have compliance for all the other laws because the differences are more, I mean, it's not necessarily, you know, gradations of um, restriction. It's more just that there are different things that are encompassed in definitions and that can, that will certainly prove challenging. That's right. And not to overstate it. I mean, I think that there's perhaps limited uh, situations in which the differences about around sensitive information, for example, truly make a huge difference. But you could see a situation where a company processes uh, citizenship status, but not immigration status. And suddenly you're telling two different things to Virginia and Colorado uh, citizens. And how do you do that when you're making a public statement on your website? You know, do you say, uh, Virginia citizens, we process sensitive information about you, but in Colorado, we don't. 
And that kind of raises questions to people. What, what's the difference? Is that because you're treating them differently or, or what? The rights to request information are different, which means that your communications about those rights are going to be different. And then the information that it relates to is, is slightly different as well. I think that this is, it's, it's at this point with three states a manageable problem as it becomes more and more, as more and more states come online with, again, slightly different versions of sensitive information or what does it mean to request deletion or uh, what kind of information is included in the right to access or right to correct, these problems are going to multiply and keeping track of everything is going to be um, a, a real difficulty, especially if we kind of get past this hump of suddenly making it a private right of action and suddenly you're going to run the risk of being sued by, by a plaintiff's attorney because you've given the wrong disclosure um, and those disclosures are going to be different in every state. And, and I think that that's a it's a risk down the road that we're that we're watching and hoping we can we can avoid, in order to make sure that the that these privacy laws are really doing what they need to do, which is protecting people's um, control over their own information, and not you know being a, a slot machine um, where if you happen to have a a mistake in a disclosure, it's suddenly um, you know money in the in the hands of. Uh, whoever it is who, who discovers this minor error. So That's a very fair point. And I'll note, I mean, it's interesting. I think that this law really sort of belt and suspended the there is no private right of action um, here uh, looking at the language. I mean, they sort of cut off the possibility of even trying to shoehorn violations of this law into a Colorado Consumer Protection Act violation with its language. So, I mean, we, you know, we're talking about sort of how this law fits into um, the existing ecosystem of privacy laws. And I want to turn back to Sarah because, you know, there was some discussion um, while this bill was moving through the legislature about it being a, you know, quote unquote, starting point for a Colorado privacy law, given that it doesn't, you know, as it as written, it, it's not taking effect until July of, of 2023. So, Sarah, I mean, what do you think is going to be addressed or what might be addressed um, in subsequent legislative sessions, you know, between now and then? And, and is it going to are, are there things that are going to be addressed legislatively versus through rulemaking as this law does give the attorney general's office pretty comprehensive rulemaking authority as well? Yeah, I think, you know, the conversation that this is a starting point uh, was really not lost on anyone. I think a 39-page pretty comprehensive bill, you know, is a little more than just a starting point, I think. But there was significant negotiation around the, the effective date and pushing that out a couple of years because it's so complicated and because Colorado is only the third state. Um, There's not really like, you know, sort of an off-the-shelf uh, resource for businesses to deal with you know, what's in Colorado's law. And as David mentioned, Colorado's law isn't identical to California or Virginia or GDPR. I mean, there are nuances and it's its its, its own animal that really has to be understood because the consequences are significant. Uh, no business wants to be subject, be the subject of an investigation or prosecution. Um, and so 
you know, I think that's really, this businesses really want to be able to comply and the, the law needs to be able to be complied with. I think interestingly, you know, the law goes into effect in July of 2023, not January. You know, we often think about laws going into effect at the start of the year. I think one interesting uh, kind of note from the political side is that the retailers made a, a pretty persuasive case that uh, that's really the busiest time of year for them. And that to ask retail businesses to implement this law when it's their most important time of the year uh, was, um, you know, really landed. And so the, the effective date was pushed out with the legislators. And so the effective date was pushed out to July, uh, which is just an interesting, another interesting nuance to the Colorado law that's not in the Virginia or California law, for example. I think the advantage of the 2023 effective date is that rulemaking can start this summer and can happen, you know, this summer and fall going into the next legislative session in 2022. And that will allow, if there are any sort of big rocks that no one really saw that come out in rulemaking, that can be addressed in 2022. And, you know, I think if there's some cleanup where if we're, there's in, we're in rulemaking and there is a sense that the law is not as flexible as folks thought it was going to be, that there is an opportunity to, in 2022, fix that so that there can be another rulemaking in the summer, fall of uh, 2022. And then we also have another legislative session in 2023 where any other tweaks that need to be made statutorily can be made before implementation in July of 2023. So I think there's a real advantage to being able to use the rulemaking process on a bill that's as significant as this one to start thinking about implementation, make statutory uh, changes as need be, then make maybe more tweaks and other where there's other gaps in the rulemaking, take care of those, and then make any other statutory tweaks before implementation. So this is going to continue to be a very comprehensive stakeholder process, the likes of which we haven't seen except for maybe some uh, big pieces of employment legislation recently, uh, I have the sense that there are going to be businesses and the consumer advocacy groups who will stay as engaged as they've been for the last two years throughout the next two years until implementation. And I think it's interesting, you know, looking at just that little example of the retailers and what they were able to achieve. You know, I think sometimes businesses think, oh, well, I'm not going to engage. This is just, this is such a big thing. Obviously there's people who are in control. You know, businesses' voices matter and they matter in every aspect of the process, legislatively and in rulemaking. And a single business or a single industry can have a big effect. And so, you know, if there are businesses who haven't yet engaged in the process, it's not too late. The bill has passed, but there's still a long way to go. Um, so of course it's always a great idea to, you know, you know, see how to get engaged either through, uh, you know, individual outside counsel or through, um, you know, chambers. The Colorado Chamber of Commerce has really been leading the charge on this bill, um, as well as the Denver Metro Chamber. So, um, you know, there definitely is still an opportunity to participate in, in terms of what the rulemaking will cover. I think it's going to cover everything. I mean, I think there are going to be technical issues that get addressed. From like one example is um, the definition of consent excludes agreement obtained through quote unquote dark patterns. Dark patterns is defined in the legislation. How that gets implemented is going to be very, very interesting. Dark pattern as defined by the legislation means that you're using um, kind of a way that you're, you're communicating to the consumer that's somewhat manipulative. 
you know, what does that actually mean for businesses? That's going to be something that's extraordinarily technical. I think something, though, that it's going to run all the way back up to the general, which is employment records is defined. And it's defined, I think, pretty clearly. But it's not clear. Does that include former employees? Does it include volunteers and interns? Does it include independent contractors? I think there's going to be questions that run the gamut from the technical to the general. And, uh, you know, thank goodness we have two years to, to work all this stuff out. <laughs> Yeah, no, great insights. And uh, yeah, agreed. And and hopefully that process does result in, you know, a, a law that provides not only protection for consumers, you know, vis-a-vis -vis their control over their data, but as well as a, a clear path for businesses um, for how to comply. I'll mention just one more thing, Alyssa, because I think the other aspect that I see trailing this is just if I'm looking kind of down the line five years from now, I would anticipate we're going to start to see regulation of companies that come in and are selling to consumers their ability to help the consumers with these rights. So, mm -hmm. you know, for the lay person, you know, people understand that their data is being collected. They understand that there are these laws that are being passed that are seeking to protect them but they don't necessarily know how to access that. So in addition to the com consumer advocate groups doing you know, outreach and helping consumers to understand this, I mean, business always fills a gap. And I have no doubt that we're gonna see businesses pop up promising that they can help people to access their data, delete it, to opt out of it, um, to have more transparency, to make it portable so they can take it wherever they wanna take it. And we're probably going to also need some regulation around those companies at the end of the day. So it was a, it's a very it's just fascinating the kind of cascading effects that we're going to see. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, my you know former consumer protection regulator um, antenna goes up because I'm sure with those kinds of businesses that pop up are going to be fraudulent businesses that. Um, are professing to be able to help you with those, you know, requests um, that are actually, you know, trying to figure out a way to access the consumer's data themselves for nefarious purposes. And so, you know, yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be a landscape that um, may be a bit fraught until um, there is, you know, sufficient sort of clarity um, and regulation brought to it through the, the rulemaking process and just through seeing what evolves. So, David, I guess that, that sort of, you know, begs the question, since things are a bit in flux right now, I mean, you know, as we've discussed, the, the bill has not been signed by the governor yet, but assuming that happens, but there's still this sort of lead up time during which there's going to be rulemaking, there may be legislative adjustments. What is your advice to businesses on what they should be doing now to prepare for compliance with the Colorado law? Sure, I think that there are several steps that a, that a business can take today uh, over the next six to 12 months to prepare themselves uh, one of the things we saw in in response to the CCPA, which had a similar process by which the attorney general was to promulgate some rules, is that those rules uh, were a little slow coming out, and they changed multiple times. Uh, in in many cases, being revised. I think I think some of those rules were changed three times, including after they came into effect. Um, that's very difficult to to try to hit that moving target. But 
the good news is that a lot of those uh, regulations were really in the details. And the big picture issues start in the same place almost no matter where these regulations end up. And, and so the first place to start, especially for Colorado businesses that are perhaps smaller and haven't really had an issue with California being on their radar uh, because they're, they're, they're local to Colorado, is to, to start with an assessment of what data do you have? What kind of information about people do you collect? And where is it stored? What vendors do you share that information with? What are the contracts with those vendors? What are the restrictions with those vendors? I think one of the proverbial long poles in the tent for compliance with this law is actually going to be in regards to vendors. There are a lot of requirements in this law regarding sharing information with uh, what the law defines as processors. Uh, those, are, those are parties that, uh, as opposed to a controller, or a controller would be a, the, the company that is, that's collected the data, that's, that's using it, and a processor is really uh, a vendor that's, that's helping on, on, uh, on behalf of the controller. There are very specific requirements in this law for what the contracts between the controllers and processors uh, have to contain. So renegotiating those contracts can take a while, depending on how many vendors you have, um, how up they are on the law. I think there's some question under the law as to if you have a vendor who is out of state, a processor who's out of state, who is not otherwise subject to this law, some of these requirements uh, in the law purport to just directly apply to those processors. So if you're a processor, if you're, if you're an entity that, that processes information on behalf of other companies, there's a real question, I think, in terms of uh, your ability to skirt the requirements of this law. I don't think that you can um, generally. And you're going it, 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 to, the, the, the balance of requirements here between uh, a vendor and a processor when you're negotiating how information is used and the kinds of protections that are in place is, is definitely shifted by this law. I think that thinking about those protections is also another aspect that, that, that a business should be engaged in, thinking about how, how am I protecting this information, how am I limiting access, how am I limiting use, how am I just ensuring that People are not using it in ways that that the that the company isn't isn't deliberately engaging um, in in using the information as it as it intends. Um, it's that incidental use that I think can get people in trouble in some of these laws. But generally, two years is not as long as it seems. Um, we saw that in in relation to GDPR. We saw that we've seen that in relation to CCPA. It was a sprint to the finish for many companies where those laws were applicable. Um, and if you were starting from, from scratch especially, um, it's going to, to take a while to get everything in place so that you're ready to comply on day one. Excellent advice. Well, I guess the upshot of all of that is um, stay tuned, but don't don't sit back. <laughs> Definitely uh, get your uh, house in order because the law will be in effect before we know it again, provided the governor signs. Well, this has been a really fascinating discussion, um, and I want to thank you both 
Sarah and David for um, joining us today to discuss this privacy law that's on the horizon for Colorado. And we will see you next time or hear you next time on the Brownstein podcast series. So thank you. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.